because Russell Westbrook's legacy is not going to be about winning. To quietly yell to everyone, I am Kevin Durant. More encouraged, not just by what I saw from the Celtics in these four games, but this is a culmination of the last couple of months and the way they've been playing. Chris Broussard here, and welcome to the brand new Hoops on Fox podcast. This podcast will give you your daily dose of all things NBA from Fox Sports, including the best content from Skip and Shannon, Nick Wright, plus special guests, fresh NBA content from myself, post-game interviews from NBA stars around the league, and much, much more. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Up first, Chris Broussard joins Skip and Shannon to dissect Russell Westbrook's struggles in the playoffs and what's next for the superstar point guard. How much has Russell's legacy been hurt by this series? Not at all. And here's why. Because Russell Westbrook's legacy is not going to be about winning. And it's not, it, I've made peace with Russell Westbrook's legacy. Really? He's going to have a legacy similar to Allen Iverson, Pistol Pete Maravich, maybe Dominique Wilkins, where he's this tremendous individual phenom, this spectacle, this whirlwind who puts up these incredible stats that hardly anybody else has ever done in, in the triple-double case. No one else mm -hmm. has ever done. And that's how we're going to remember him. 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, He's going to be an icon. Hmm. People are going to look back. There was this guy, Russell Westbrook, averaged a triple-double for three straight years. Maybe four, maybe five. Who knows how long he'll keep this going. Oscar Robertson, Skip, and you, you know this, mm -hmm. when you ask anybody in basketball about Oscar, whether it's LeBron James, whether it's Hubie Brown, whether it's just some random high school coach who really follows the game, the first thing that comes to their mind when you say Oscar he averaged a triple-double for an entire season. He did, but he also did win a championship he did, late in the career right, uh, thanks with Kareem. to Kareem. Okay. But how many people think about that? That one ring he won later in his career with Lou Alcindor, now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, look, and Westbrook's also the only player ever to lead the NBA in scoring and assists two times or two or more times. Yep. So he's he, the 2020-21 game. Where in Nipsey Russell, you know, a tribute to Nipsey Hussle, mm -hmm. tribute to him. Mm -hmm. Like, I, honestly, and I, I, you will never win a title with Russell Westbrook as your leading player. And maybe even your second player. I don't even know if he can hardly be a second player because of the way he plays, his style of play. He doesn't take good shots. Mm -hmm. He doesn't understand time and score. He plays minute 47 like it's minute 17. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how to slow it down and play with pace at times. So I get all that, but you could his numbers probably make him a guy that would be not put on the top 50 players of all time. Mm. And so I I I get it. This is where I don't so I don't think it's affected his legacy. Where I think it is affecting him negatively is his current stature in the game. Mm. Steph, well, let me not even go to Steph. Damian Lillard is better than Westbrook. It's as simple. He's well, a better basketball right player. Now. He's yeah. a better basketball. Mm -hmm. Westbrook is a more is a better athlete. He's a more explosive, you know, individual. By the way, phenom. quick point on that. Damian had a fast, uh, an open break with the ball, and and he tried to dunk it, and it took all of his might to get up to dunk it. <laughs> to do it, he, right? He barely can dunk. But that, go ahead. That's the difference. You could say the same thing about yeah. Steph. Yeah. Steph, Damian, uh, Kyrie, James Harden. 
Now they're better players, better point guards than Westbrook. Now Westbrook is no longer going to be in the consideration of a top five player in the league right now. Mm. So where it's hurting him is his current position. But his legacy is set. It's this, he was this tremendous individual phenom. Mm. And last thing, Iverson, after they went to the finals in 20, mm -hmm. 2001, mm -hmm. he, he only won one playoff series the rest of his career in five tries. Was with, with Carmelo? With, no, they didn't even win. They went out in the first round. He won one more in Philadelphia. And then and the one the one time he really had deep playoff success was with a coach like Larry Brown, yep. who was on him. I mean, we know their battles are legendary yep. to play differently. That's to, and, and just put a team around him. That, mm -hmm. That's what Westbrook would need. Scotty Brooks wasn't telling him what mm -hmm. to do. Billy Donovan's not telling him what mm -hmm. to do. That's the only way he could win at any high level outside of having a great player like yep. Kevin Durant, which he did. Well, Shannon Sharp, go ahead. Well, let, me ask, yep. let me ask you this, Chris. Once you've had this kind of success, you've gone, you've gone three, three straight years and you've had a triple-double. What coach can tell Russell Westbrook or can harness or rein in Russ at this juncture of his career? At this juncture of his career? I don't know if anybody can, to be honest. I mean, Larry Brown exactly. got Iverson when he was relatively young. What, maybe six years in the league? Yes. Really? Something like, yeah, you, yes. you probably can't change him at and this point. He got him before he won the MVP and took the team to the yep. final, but that's not the here. The thing is, with, for me, is that Russ is who we thought he was all along. And, and I made the analogy earlier, Chris, it's like the good-looking girl. You forget all the flaws. Nasty personality. She'll say anything. She'll do anything. But she looks good. Russell Westbrook, he got that triple-double. He shot 5 of 21. He got a triple-double. He was 13 of 38, but he got a triple-double. And when he doesn't get that triple-double, it forces you to take a deeper look inside what he actually did. So now last night he didn't have a triple-double. He misses his last seven shots. He's 5 of 21. They had a 7-8. They forced Portland to call two timeouts in a span of, I think, two and a half, three minutes. They're up seven. They're up nine. And before the half ends, Portland has a two-point lead. Why? Russell taking horrible shots. Oh, oh he thinks he's a he, – he fails to realize he's a scorer, not a shooter. So he thinks he can – and they love it. They love when Russell hits his first one or two shots because guess what that means, Chris? He going to keep it going. Mm -hmm. And his percentages tell you it's going to come down. He shot, he's shooting 39% from the field, 31% from the three, and he's turning the ball over five or six times per game. You're not winning with that. Mm. And Kevin Durant tried to tell y'all, say, look, y'all can call me whatever. Kevin Durant would have rather taken the backlash and the criticism for joining a Golden State team than to stay there and try and figure out how can I win a title with this guy. Mm. Agreed. Oof. And where I part ways with Chris Broussard is his legacy took a hit for me last night, and I can only speak for me. And I became a Russell Westbrook fan when Kevin basically left him high and dry in OKC. And I predicted going into that year, he's going to average a triple-double. But I was looking at it as more of a solo act of defiance against the loss of Kevin Durant. And he pulled it off. But I can no longer defend three straight first-round exits, uh, what looks like it's going to be a 4-12 and postseason record post-KD. And to mm -hmm. me, last night was a legacy game 
for Russell Westbrook at home, and I really thought he would win it because he would just will it. He would just figure out some way to pull it off as he did game three on, what was it, Friday night. And I I think he shot the biggest hole yet in his legacy last night because he really hit bottom. And what bothered me the most was 231 left in the first half. Russell Westbrook finally drains a deep three right in Damian's face. And if we could see that, what does he do from that moment forward? He <laughs> busts up the court, beating his chest, screaming God it. knows what. Here it is. He, he's screaming to everybody. I, I think he's saying it's my house. I don't know what he's saying. God, I don't know if we could repeat what he's saying. But, but he's, he looks like he just made the shot that won game seven of the finals, right? And we know he's, he's fueled by emotion and it's raw rage and, and nobody plays harder every possession, every single loose ball. We get all that. But at some time, at some point, you have to grow up and say, you know, we got a lot of basketball left to play here. And these guys were up against, they, they yeah, can really do. shoot it, right? So what happened from that mm-hmm. moment forward in this basketball game? 11 to nothing happened because that was the Portland run up to halftime. And in that 11 to nothing run, Russell Westbrook missed three shots and turned the ball over one. That's in the last 231 of that half after that display you just saw. And then in the second half, Russell Westbrook scored a grand total of one point. He scored one point in the second half. And meanwhile, Damian scores 15 in the third quarter and CJ scores 13 in the fourth quarter because they can just flat out shoot it. And Russell shot himself in the foot and his team in all their feet because you live and die with him shooting and he just shooting it in the series. Now he shot 36% from the field. He's 29 of 80. And from the three-point line, he's 30% in this, these four games. Well, that's, that's horrendous. It's just hard to – you can't win. You can't overcome that because he shoots high volume and high volume misses. Mm-hmm. And it won't work because it's funny, most great players get better at, at a skill over time, right. and he's getting worse right. as a shooter, right? right? He's getting worse from the free throw line. He's made his free throws in the series, but he shot 66%. So, so to me, he, he, especially in Oklahoma City, he's going to lose a little clout, a little cachet, a little bit of the pass he gets for the way he treats Barry Trammell in the media especially in That's Oklahoma City, yeah, right? That, that It looks immature, and, and I don't know what – I mean, mm-hmm. I, from what the stories I read, Trammell just asked him like a, a random, he, regular he question. for years. Right. Yeah. Like, Do you know Barry? I know him Yeah, yeah. Well. Just, yeah, yeah, from, you know, yeah, covering around. around the league. But – it's that's that's what's really bad. Like again, I've made peace with who Russell Westbrook is as a player. Have you ever I, tried to talk to him or? Yeah, we we've not never had any problems. We've talked a little bit here and there, but he's not. I don't know if he has any really good relations with anybody in the media. He's a different type of guy. Like I've seen him even around like at All Star parties and stuff at All Star Weekend, and he'll be around players, but he's kind of to himself. Like with his family, mm-hmm. e- even at parties, his family there. So he's a different kind of guy. Next, Chris Mannix joins Nick and CeCe to break down the Celtics' sweep of the Pacers and the potential Milwaukee vs. Boston second-round matchup. Mannix, after watching the Celtics this series, do they look like they've put it all together enough to, to, to run with the Milwaukee Bucks, who they'll probably face in the next round? Yes, absolutely. They Look, I'm not going to overreact to beating Indiana. I'm not sure Indiana's a playoff no, team. No, you're on this show, man. You can overreact is, is part of it, so you can you can do that. But look, I'm not sure Indiana's a playoff team without Victor Oladipo, uh, but they are mm-hmm. a tough defensive team. They muck the game up, and the Celtics were going to pull it off. But I'm 
more encouraged, not just by what I saw from the Celtics in these four games, but this is a culmination of the last couple of months and the way they've been playing. Gordon Hayward continues to make strides every single month. Kyrie Irving didn't have a great series, but he's a great closer, and he proved it in this series. Jalen Brown stepped into that role that Marcus Smart vacated, and Bojan Bogdanovic, who is the best player on that team without Oladipo there, he never shot higher than 43% from the floor. And Jason Tatum, Looked like playoff Jason Tatum. 20 mm -hmm. points in that series. Shot 50% yes. from the floor, 54% from three. This team is starting to come together. Now, it's a tough series against Milwaukee. Giannis averaged about 31 per game against the Celtics in the regular season. But you can't look at the way this Celtics team is playing and say they have no shot. If they win one of those two games in Milwaukee, they're going to win that series. Okay, so listen. This, what you said about Tatum is 100% correct. He was excellent. Jalen Brown was very efficient on limited shot opportunities, and the Celtics team defensively was great. Now, how much of that is that the Pacers are just so limited offensively? I don't know, but I will give them full credit for that because they were they were rotating. They, Marcus Morris all of a sudden started to at times look like the mm -hmm. guy who was the first few months of the season. Mm -hmm. And in the final quarter of the first round, Gordon Hayward was great. Like it, three for three from three. All of them felt huge given the, given the situation. It was a one-point game going into the fourth quarter. So I can give the Boston full credit. for with Without Victor Oladipo, sweeping someone in the first round is a big deal, especially in that 4-5 matchup. It's not a one-versus-eight situation. So I'll give them full credit. Milwaukee is a different animal. Milwaukee, there's a reason. They're the only team in the league. Forget they're the only team in the league with top five offense and defense, except they have third-ranked offense, number one defense in basketball. You think Indiana's a good defensive team? Milwaukee, over the course of the year, was better. Milwaukee is not limited and is offensively and is not a team that is going to be clanging wide-open three-pointers the way Indiana was. And when you say if they go there and take one of those first two games, this will be the first series – Boston has to start on the road since 2016. Mm -hmm. In the first round against Atlanta, where they got knocked out. The previous year, they started on the road. They got knocked out in the first round. Boston's had home court advantage in every series they've played, 17, 18, and then first round of this year. So do I think they're going to go to a rested Milwaukee with the probable league MVP and steal home court advantage in the first two? No, I don't. And if you don't, then you got to beat them four out of five times, and that's not happening. So th that's where I can give them full credit for what they did in round one and think it ends in short order in round two. Well, Milwaukee's been the best team in the NBA throughout the season. I, I think that if we're looking at the NBA in its totality, there is no huge mismatch in any of the second-round games. I like the games, as you could see in the first round. Now, the Celtics, they had the best matchup. Indiana, they're challenged offensively. We know how good they are defensively, but as far as the guards that the Pacers throw at you, that's what I believe be the matchup in the Milwaukee series. Bledsoe has been outstanding. Him and Kyrie Irving, because they don't have Marcus Smart. Him and Kyrie Irving, a lot of this matchup is going to depend on who wins that head-to-head. -head. Will Kyrie continue to be a ball distributor and run the offense the way he's done these four games, which to me was totally different than the Kyrie that we've seen during the season, even though he had his individual numbers were spectacular. But the question for this series is, will Giannis be a superstar? Milwaukee don't have no experience. It ain't like they didn't won 60 games five years in a row. It ain't like they've been to the second, third round, fourth round. It's not, not like their coach has a whole bunch of experience doing this. So the inexperience and what I saw from Giannis last year that I questioned, when they went on the road, 
Giannis just became an ordinary player. And now it's the time, MVP candidate, will he take over these series? Will he take over these games as we have seen these other superstars do, um, do throughout the playoffs, Chris? Well, a couple things. Uh, Boston goes into this series, and I think Boston could still get to another level. I don't think they played an A series by any stretch against yes. Indiana. Mm -hmm. You had Brown efficient at times, but he struggled offensively. Hayward didn't have you know, more than one great game in that series. Terry Rozier didn't play well in that series. And but Terry Rozier is about to go into a series that was his breakout series last year. But is, aren't you describing exactly what they were all year, though? You're now asking them no. to get to a level in the second round against the best team in the league that is a level they weren't at for two, uh, any two-week period all season long. Well, last, two last two months of the season, Gordon Hayward was a different player. He's a, he was a better player at the end of the season than he was in this series. Athletically, there were some things Gordon Hayward, he was not playable. Nick, you mentioned it a bunch on this show. Gordon Hayward needs to be out. He has gotten stronger from a physical standpoint, and the Celtics were going something, through something. They are admitting, we don't even like each other. We've gotten beyond that, and when people like each other, they perform well. I think that's what you're speaking about as far as their overall performance. Like, they're all balled in. They're playing defense together. So I, 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 could, I could see what you're seeing there. I just think they can get better on different levels. I think Hayward can get significantly better. The wild card for me in this series is the efficiency of Brooke Lopez and how effective he can be because you don't see a lot of successful teams that are able to play a Brooke Lopez type of player for 35 minutes a night. Yes, in the regular season, he was an anchor for that team. In the regular season, he was able to make three-point shots. But going up against Boston, which has these spaces Bigs, which likes to play Al Horford at the five spot. Mm -hmm. Can you play Brooke Lopez 35 but, minutes a night in that series? But with respect, think about what you just said on, on both these points. For Boston, you are saying, I think they can play better than cumulatively they played at any point all year for an extended stretch. And, and for Milwaukee, I think something that has been one of their huge strengths is all of a sudden going to go away. So, so in order to find a way for Boston to win, we're saying they're going to all of a sudden, against the best defense in the league, play their best basketball, while that team, a huge part of it, Brooke Lopez's offense and defense, is just going to be removed. I, I don't see the realistic path there. And when you say there's no mismatches, you're, you're correct. Once we get to the second round, everybody's quite good. But there's three series that we now know what they're going to be. Houston, Golden State, Philly, Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston. Of those three, what's the biggest mismatch? I would say it's Milwaukee, Boston. Toronto, Philly, Toronto is an edge, but I don't think it's a decided edge. And Houston, Golden State, we saw how close that series was last year, and now there's no boogie component. Is this not, of the three series we know, the, the most lopsided, the biggest mismatch? Lopsided is the wrong word, though. There might be a little bit of a more of an edge yes. towards Milwaukee I in this one. On but that. how are you saying? Boston is trending upward. They have been trending upward for the last two months. Do right. you deny and Milwaukee that? hasn't had to trend upward. They've been here the whole year. They're also going to sweep their first round. They have played at this level. You, they need to keep trending upward and jump a couple pegs on that. It needs to go exponential all of a sudden if they want to be on par with Milwaukee, much less better Last than time Boston went to Milwaukee, they played without Gordon Hayward just after the All-Star break. It was a great loss for them. Let me tell you, the most predictable thing ever. Now, Colin Coward gives his top five NBA players on rookie contracts. I saw a quote yesterday. Remember earlier this year when uh, the Lakers had those trade rumors and it just completely unraveled Lonzo and Kuzma and Ingram and all the stories came out, freaked all the young kids out. And I get it, I get it, I get it. Nobody wants to hear when they're young and the NBA are getting traded. 
But Jason Tatum yesterday was asked about trade rumors. I just love this kid. He's from Duke. He's a Celtics kid. And he said, you know, they're talking about trading me for guys like Anthony Davis. So, I mean, I must be doing something pretty well. I love the game of basketball. Being traded is part of the game. I'll play whomever, wherever. It's something I can't control. Told the New York Times that. I love this kid. I love everything about it. Everything I want my young players to be. He's smart. He went to Duke. He's long. Length matters. He is athletic. Uh, he's a really good shooter. He can shoot field goals. He can shoot threes. He's never hurt. Embiid's hurt a lot. Anthony Davis hurt a lot. This kid's never hurt. Lonzo's hurt a lot. Brandon Ingram's hurt a lot. I love this kid. And there's just nothing I don't like about this kid. Is he is he completely polished yet? No. He's he turns 21 in March. He just just turned 21. Just. Uh, but I think the Celtics uh, end up winning this series in five. And there's just I love this kid. And I and I told my staff. We often talk about Durant and Steph and LeBron and Giannis and all the great players. But I said, here's my favorite five guys in the NBA who starting next year will still be on their rookie deals. So these are guys starting next year on their rookie deals. Number five, De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. I think he's the most underrated single player in the NBA. Uh, 17 and seven, best record in Sacramento, a dysfunctional franchise in 13 years. Eight Lonzo Ball alive when they played in college basketball. Absurdly quick, very high basketball IQ, and can shoot a three. De'Aaron Fox, number four, Luka Doncic, uh, probably going to win Rookie of the Year for Dallas. Uh, he's a 27-5 and five guy. Very much, they say, an Oscar Robertson type. Can do everything well offensively. He was a terrific European player. Listen, the next four guys, there's not a big gap on. Um, is, is he a revolutionary player or just a basketball player that's good and scores a bunch? I think he's the latter. I don't think he's revolutionary. I don't think he changes the league. I think he scores a bunch of points. Uh, number three, Ben Simmons. The kid can't shoot, and he's, he's the reigning rookie of the year, and he's a 17-9-8 guy, and he can't shoot. Can you imagine if he could? I also think the Sixers have a choice to make eventually. Um, on who's going to run this team. And I don't think going forward you can have two guys, Embiid and Simmons, neither hits the three. You got to make a choice or they'll just keep underachieving. And I think Simmons is the guy last night was a prime example. I don't trust Embiid's body. He was out last night, missed two playoff games uh, against uh, Miami last year. He's missed more games than he's played as a sixer. Uh, number two, Jason Tatum. I love him. Uh, by the way, He's a, he's been, I'll tell you this. Here's what I love about him of the many things. You notice the last two years, he's been better in the playoffs than the regular season. He averaged 15 a game in the regular season. He's averaging 21 in the playoffs and he's shooting 55% from the floor. He's shooting 67% on three point shooters. I don't want to hear about his regular season. They brought in Kyrie Irving. Gordon Hayward was back. This was going to be a rocky regular season for the Celtics. They had to get guys shots. They had a lot of mouths to feed. Jason Tatum is going to be a difference-making player in this league, not just a good score. Uh, there's nothing I don't like about him. And the number one guy, these are my five guys I love who will be on their rookie contracts next year, Zion Williamson. Uh, won the Naismith, 18 years old, projected number one. Physically, uh, he's 285, probably plays in the NBA at 265. He's a 23-9 guy that shot 70% from the field, and that's at the college level where he was hurt, where you know, Coach K and most college coaches are a little restrictive offensively. I think he's built more for the NBA than college. My five guys, best five guys in the league next year on their rookie deals, Zion, Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, Luka Doncic, and uh, 
De'Aaron Fox. Following Chris Haynes joins Whitlock and Wiley to explain why Kevin Durant's big games mean more than Ben Simmons. Who made a bigger statement last night? I'm sure we're all in agreement. Ben Simmons, uh, you know, made the bigger statement. Who knew that Ben Simmons could score 31 points, uh, shoot the high percentage he did from the field and the free throw line? Everybody knew Kevin Durant was a superstar player and that, you know, at any time he could drop 38, 40 points anytime he wanted. Obviously, we're all in agreement here. Ben Simmons was the <laughs> made the biggest Man, statement last night. I know we've only worked together for six months, <laughs> but you really don't know me. <laughs> it was Kevin Durant for me uh, to quietly yell to everyone, I am Kevin Durant. And for everyone to have to take notice, which you should have never, ever lost sight of, that that's Kevin Durant. That's a huge statement because he didn't go out there and bark it up. He didn't go out there and get outside his game to do what he did in the 38 points and the efficiency and the defensive presence. You know what he did? What? He went out there and said, <laughs> how in the hell have I played 979 games I'd see on here? And y'all throw those out the window in my body of work to yell at me about two games Myself. against the undersized knack <laughs> of Myself. a defender in Pat Beverly? Y'all crazy. So. Myself, do you know the name Metal Lark Lemon? No, I just Metal heard Lock it. Lemon. No, was that a cartoon? Globetrotters. Globetrotters. Metal Lock Lemon. Right. If he had a bad game against the Washington Generals and said, hey, my name is Metal Lock Lemon, would you be shocked if he came out the next day against the Washington Generals and clown suited him? The Clippers, the Washington Generals, the second worst team in the playoffs, hmm. the Clippers, that's who Kevin Durant beat up, a baby seal. Go ahead, Chris. A baby I'm sure you, I'm sure you <laughs> Wait agree. Wait a minute. You <laughs> took that whole thing in a different place. Well, like, I know we've only been working together for two months, but yeah. you clearly don't know me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Look, come on now. This is Kevin Durant we're talking about, and there are factors in play here. Mm. Not, not, not only is this the probably one of the most high-profile series in the playoffs right now, it's Kevin Durant. <laughs> it's the, oh, <laughs> the Clippers are involved. Oh, oh, listen, yes, I understand. But there, there's a drama. There's a drama involved. There's the Patrick, the, the Beverly element. Yeah. There's Kevin Durant's pending free agency. There is this, there's this element of, if, is this team going to be intact? Is this the last hurrah? Mm. Now, look, I love what Ben Simmons did. That was big. But was he big. was caught. Look, I love Jared Dudley. But I'm sorry, that's not exactly <laughs> the ratings ain't boosting over that drama over there. I'm sorry. It's just a little bit different. It's mm -hmm. a different beast over here. And what he did and the way Kevin Durant has been active all this whole season, that's why all the attention and the lights are focused on what um Jace, I do not want to gang up on you here, but I'm gonna gang up on you here. Because <laughs> here, here's I will give you this. Ben Simmons, it was the least surprising that Kevin Durant had the game that he had because he's Kevin Durant. Ben Simmons is a young player that's just getting started. He had all those comparisons entering the NBA about, hey, he could be the next Magic Johnson, but a lot of question marks of how much of a shooter he is. But Kevin Durant's performance was the most entertaining. Chris Haynes hit on most of the points, but another subplot that was very interesting is kind of the back and forth that Steve Kerr and he are having, where Steve Kerr says before game three, he wants Kevin to be more aggressive. He wants him to get 20, 30 shots, and KD's kind of sneering, saying, I'm not going to try to just get 20 or 30 shots and mess up the offense and telling me, hey, how do you want me to play when I'm asking how, should, how aggressive should you be? And then he answers like that, has a fun back and forth with Chris about how much He's a playmaker, a scorer, and when he decides to do both. So he is the most entertaining performance of the night. Oh, oh, oh. Mark, I know this is your first time on the show, <laughs> but you are a journalist. There so you I go. Just want, I want to point to this. Who made a bigger statement? It, 
not who was more entertaining, who made a bigger statement. And that's why, again, I'm going to go back to, I can't believe y'all sitting here. When I watched Kevin Durant in the first quarter last night, I was like, oh. That's that's Texas. That's the University of Texas. That's that long Kevin Durant. Okay. <laughs> so I saw that. I saw him come to yeah. Fall Gallon, Kansas, and do exactly what he mm-hmm. did last night. Like, damn, seven foot can shoot like that. Can take it off the bounce on people like that. There was nothing new here. That was vintage Kevin Durant. But we didn't learn anything new. Ben Simmons is like, oh. There is a way for him to be an effective scorer and carry a team in a playoff game. There is something here that, you know, we, you ben learned Simmons, that. Even though he, <laughs> you, didn't know, you didn't watch game two? 31. But you didn't see game two when he was balling as well. Game one, he was absent hey, compared to his but, standards. But, but he is an all star, too. And he's an all star. Here's the thing this is LeBron 2.0 if he gets his jump shot. We all know Ben Simmons is walking triple double. But you know why it took something off for me other than the fact that that series is not as interesting as the Clippers and Golden State? <laughs> because <laughs> you was in the Staples Center. That's why I wasn't dinner. Damn but go ahead. right. And I'll be there Sunday, too. I need a win. You shouldn't go. go <laughs> it's going to be ugly. Enjoy your Easter. Enjoy <laughs> Let me say this. Y'all think that Ben Simmons went out there motivated because, you know what, people were clowning me and Jared Dudley. It was the quote-unquote leaked bogus story, Philadelphia Sixers are saying, about Joel Embiid is our no, no trade player and Ben Simmons was on the block. Remember that happened? And so Ben Simmons is like, and Embiid's not playing? So he went for broke. He went out of character. And you can say that that's a greater statement. I think you're proving his point. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. not. That statement that he's trying to make is is not going to be something that's sustainable, and it's not something that you were going to look at and see again. Game two, he balled out. Game three, he balled out. And you trying to say that's a big statement? I just think that the guy went out there with a little extra sauce and went out of character. Kevin Durant went out there and said, I'm just going to play my game. And that speaks the loudest. Like, the one who barks to me ain't the one with the bite. Kevin Durant went out there from first quarter on, silent assassin. You want to say it's the guy who went out there fully motivated? I don't see it. I I just, I'm sitting here shocked. I'm sorry to disappoint you here. That every, (laughs) no, all right. Finally, Chris Mannix is back with Nick and Cece to explain why the Lakers need a new GM immediately after Magic Johnson's departure. I'm mystified by it. Because in in the immediate aftermath of the Magic Johnson quitting, I gave Jeannie Buss a mulligan for it. You know, it's her first time as an owner. She brought in the big name. She continued a longstanding Laker tradition of only hiring people that used to work or play for the Lakers. Mm -hmm. But she saw what happened with Magic Johnson there. And she's looking, or should be looking, across the hallway at the L.A. Clippers, who have one of the most fleshed-out front offices in the league, a deep bench of guys, Mm -hmm. smart guys that have done the job at various levels before. I thought she would look at all that and go out there and take all that Laker money, the $180 million per year they make in TV revenue, the $3.7 billion Mm. they're worth, and go out there and throw it at Sam Presti and throw it at R.C. Buford Mm -hmm. and throw it at Masai Ujiri. Instead, they are just sticking with the norm. Now, if Rob Palenka wound up being the guy, if you went through an interview process and you were like, you know what, Rob's drafted pretty well, I like him here, it seems like he's got a good plan in place, that's fine. Right. But You have a search committee, you look top to bottom, you look for the absolute best, have a competition, and he wins it. Exactly. Okay. But, you know, whether it's overtly or through back channels, I've heard nothing about them reaching out to some of these top guys, and I think that is a mistake and a catastrophic one. Let me ask something real quick. Obviously, the way Magic quit 
it was, you, you laugh so you don't cry. The whole thing was so absurd, right? But once you had a day to reflect on it, did you not think this could actually be a blessing for the Lakers? That he could have given, this could be an opportunity for them to get something right they hadn't. That it could be the positive jolt they needed going into the offseason if they did those things you're talking about, right? 100%. I thought Magic Johnson gave them a gift that he walked away and he didn't walk away after decimating the franchise. The Lakers didn't make the playoffs, but it's not like they're in terrible shape out there. They've got cap space. They've got LeBron. They've got good young talent. And all those bad players, they come off the books this They've got season. their own picks. So it, yep. it's, it's fine. He didn't destroy the franchise. But it gave them an opportunity to see what works and what didn't. And I'm telling you, that Laker job is an appealing job for everybody. Look at what the Thunder are doing right now. Like, you're telling me that Sam Presti wouldn't consider taking that Laker job? Or how about somebody calls R.C. Buford in San Antonio and wonders, mm -hmm. after three decades down there, if maybe he wants $15 million per year to run his own thing? Same thing with Masai. That these calls seemingly weren't made is just mind-boggling to me. It's like the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, Mannix, the problem is that typically when I'm trying to make a decision, and if it's, a, it's an important decision, I try to bring in people that might have information to be able to help me. And it's not easy to make these types of decisions. But if you keep bringing in the same people, because last year she probably went to either Magic to talk to before she hired them and or Kobe. Those are the Mitch Kupchak, Kurt Rambis. Those are the only ones. West is working with the Clippers. So those are the only ones in Laker Nation that are really live. So she went to Magic. Magic was like, I could do a better job running this team. Kobe was like, yeah, won't you hire my agent? So to me, they've gone about this the same way they've gone about everything else. Backwards. They should have went out and tried to get, because I said, the Lakers, most storied um, history in the NBA, let's go out and make it about the best. You're in pro sports, you're at the highest level. Let's try to get the best person for that job. And, it's, and based on your information, they haven't even tried to go down that road. And to me, that's a tremendous mistake, Nick. The, you mentioned who's, who's Genie Bus talking to. Mason in Ireland is a radio show in L.A. Mason does a television broadcaster there. John Ireland's the, the television voice of the Lakers. These, it's a connected afternoon show in L.A. Man, they said something last week that should terrify Laker fans. And that is Jeannie Buss's closest confidant and the person who she is leaning on the most in this part of the Lakers history is Linda Rambis, yep. Kurt Rambis's wife. And that is, not in, that is not an indictment on Linda. It is simply, it is, however, I, what are the odds that the person most equipped is someone you, what's the odds the best person to take over the company is the son of the guy who built the company? What are the odds the person most equipped to help you with this search is the wife who you're friends with of a former Lakers coach, like former Lakers player? Really? That's the plan here. Lakers fans have to be holding out some hope that what has happened is just not being reported. That Colin has it right. That they have reached out to Masai or Presti. That they have someone in place, but their team is still in the playoffs. Because if that's not the case, then all the Lakers have going for him is LeBron. Then they just have to hope that LeBron can bring someone in. That LeBron can help Palinka build the roster. Because if you don't get some, a, a real pro with this, then what are you doing? And the idea that none of these people that fit all the qualifications you're talking about 
would take 12 to 15 million dollars a year or more to, take a blank check and right. send it to them it doesn't matter right. ain't so no salary cap right no. exactly i think right. your point you made as far as the money that they're making off the court the overall evaluation of the business this should be a no-brainer this is easy to do. You said Laker fans are hoping that's not necessarily the case. I would say Lakers are hoping that's not necessarily the case. I wonder where you think LeBron fits into all this after really coming there in large part because Magic Johnson made a promise to him that this is the direction the team's going in. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what LeBron thinks of all this, but he's got to be looking at that top of that organization and wondering, can I really trust in what's happening out there? And one of the bigger problems I think they have, if it is Rob Palenkin, I mean, I can't imagine they're, they're trying to interview other candidates while trying to hire a coach. A GM should be the guy right. hiring the coach. But if it is Rob Palenka, the next thing they would have to do is flesh out his staff. I mean, Lawrence Frank added like 50 people. He added my former colleague, Lee Jenkins, to that front office. Who is in that Laker front office? Where are the, are the, the experienced executives mm -hmm. that need to be around Rob Palenka when he's making these types of decisions? I'm coming out of this segment more stressed about the Lakers than going into the segment. Thank you for listening to the Hoops on Fox podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review letting us know what you think of the show.